0: Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise.
1: Welcome to the EM360 Podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. I'm Richard Sinan, Chief Research Analyst at IT Harvest. I write books on IT security work with IT security technology providers on their go-to-market, and I'm a trusted advisor to CISOs and their teams. IT Harvest is an industry analyst firm that covers over 2,900 vendors in the cybersecurity industry. In today's episode, I'm joined by Rod Simmons, who's Vice President of Product Strategy at Omada. We're going to be talking about the pitfalls of IGA deployments. Welcome, Rod. Thank you very much for having me. So, Rod, why don't you introduce yourself? Just tell us, you know, how you got to where you are in this world. Yeah, I, uh, it's funny because I
0: will say I uh, career-wise, I definitely have a checkered past. But um, my name is Rod Simmons. I'm VP of Product Strategy at Omana. Uh, I've been working in the product industry in general um, probably for the better part of the last 20 years. Uh, And I've within like the identity space is really where my career has focused around. I've done everything from just focusing on active directory management, securing active directory, threat analytics, uh, to privilege access management, uh, to data access governance. And now I'm in uh, identity governance. But the evolution of my career has kind of brought me to this point to really get into
1: the identity governance space. Fantastic. Well, obviously, we're talking to the right person. So let's start out by please... What the heck is identity governance? You know, we're all familiar with authentication and managing our users, and uh, how does that fit into this big framework?
0: Yeah, so if you if you look at identity access management as being the kind of the big umbrella that cover uh, that encompasses things like you just mentioned authentication. So access management or authentication kind of sits within the overarching IAM bucket. Identity governance sits with inside of there as well. And th- it was really born around regulatory compliance that uh, organizations had to meet you know, based upon various ones, whether it be, you know, you're dealing with uh, uh, HIPAA or you're dealing with SOX or GDPR, whatever it is, where we really focus and and where most general vendors within this space really focuses around identity lifecycle management. It's your ability to prove back to the auditors who are going to come in that you have the proper controls in place to secure your enterprise. So that encompasses things such as identity lifecycle management, policy role management, entitlement management, access certification, the ability to connect to your various systems, uh, and as well as just the end point, which is the audit. So I always say that our end product is the ability for you to prove to your auditors what you're doing. But the work product of what most customers really care about is the ability to take things that might be a manual business process and automate or tighten up the processes you currently have.
1: Got it. That really helps. I'm thinking back to the time I visited the, uh, the city government of Anchorage, Alaska, and I was doing the usual Gartner thing, um, been quizzing them about their security. And I asked them, you know, how was their identity management? They said, "Mm, yeah, we don't have that. Basically they, they just like anybody who had ever worked in the city government still had the same username and password and they could log into a terminal if they walked into the building.
0: I would say, so one, funny enough, you, you, Alaska is the one U.S. state I have not been to. Like I've been <laughs> to all the others except for Alaska. So I'm jealous that you got to go there. You, But, well, I, I went in January. It was oh. not that fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I will say it, it is like when you're, when you're dealing with really large enterprises, identity governance is either something that they are currently doing, are doing or are resetting. Um, but it. There are still a number of that the, within the medium or small enterprises that really just have not had an opportunity to tackle um, identity governance as an overarching product. So there's so within the space, there still is a number of greenfield accounts, or people aren't happy with the implementation they currently have, and they're looking to potentially either start scratch or change vendors and start from scratch.
1: Yep, and you know, uh, quite often the compliance requirements yes, are important and yes, there's budget and yes, there's legal people telling you you should be doing it, but it's also just best practices. And and certainly identity lifecycle management is one of the most critical things you could do, especially revoking credentials when somebody leaves the organization.
0: Yeah. So I I think one of the areas that we're so we tend to get pigeonholed where, cause people say your identity governance and administration IGA and they're like, they hear governance, but they never hear security. So in part, and I think you raise a fantastic point, One of the, bigger challenges that you, you're sort of dealing with is that identity governance is helping your overarching security initiative because most companies want to operate off a of lease privilege. Most companies want to review and make sure that you have only the access you need. Most companies want to make sure that the automated processes that are happening are making sure the right people get access to the right resources within a defined period of time. And on the other end, when they're leaving the organization that they're deprovisioned in the proper time. Like that is the heart of what identity governance says. And while, again, it's proving back to your auditors. It, it has a massive security implications for every organization.
1: Yeah, it really, you know, it feels more like the. It's part of the maturity life cycle of an identity and access management program, right? You're getting mature when you can actually show an auditor that you're following best practices. You got it. Yeah, you hit it right on the head. So for for those that are going down the path of you know having to be in compliance and introducing identity governance and administration, what are some of the pitfalls and challenges that they'll face with deploying products?
0: So it's funny when I I knew that we were going to have this topic, I reached out to a lot of our consultants. Um, so uh, we work with partners as well as internally we have consultants, and I it was really just to get a grasp as to what are you guys seeing in the field, and kind of making sure that I'm not just not providing real valuable information. But the common ones that when I, and I'll we'll mainly focus on maybe just four key ones There were where organizations struggle, it's one is understanding the effort involved in a, a governance project. It's not to say it's insurmountable. I don't want to sound like, oh my gosh, you can't do a governance project, but it's really having a good understanding of the resources within the side of the company that are involved, like all the stakeholders you have to bring to the table. They're involved in the amount of time it's going to take for you to do this because you've built up, manual business processes over years, and now you're trying to transition from that manual process to the automation. And often within the organization, when they're making that transition, it's not just about like for like, but it's also about improving that process along the way, saying, well, we never liked the way we did it before, then let's not automate what we didn't like, let's actually improve upon it. So understanding the effort is probably one of the first ones I'd start with. And then I I kind of already started mentioning number two, which is stakeholders. Many times where projects stall the fastest is that you don't have the right people uh, at the table, is that they rely on IT because it's like, well, it's all technology, it's all software. Let the IT guys run this, but they don't know uh, the key elements for the business, so they can't make the right business decision. So stakeholders is uh, another key one that you need to get involved. Uh, And then uh, data quality. Uh, Every organization, it it doesn't matter if you're a Fortune 500 company, have issues with overarching data quality. So, that would probably be one of the areas I'd say customers often want to try to do, I'll say, workarounds or uh, conditions within the governance project to deal with poor data quality and not wanting to address it at the source. And then last but not least is um, trying to boil the ocean. Uh, rather than trying to take a, a I, let's go broad but shallow. Let's Let's get a core set of capabilities across a lot of a lot of parts of our business, or a lot of applications within our business, is kind of a best approach. And then let's start to add layers of depth as we progress through there. Uh, often people want to get end to end, and they say we want to go from provisioning to role management to automated role management to uh, certification. They want to get the entire kit and caboodle in one in a big bang theory. But the problem is. They either do a very bad job across a lot of systems or they do only two or three systems, which loses uh, some interest within inside the organization because only very small parts of
1: the uh, organization are impacted by it. So should they start broad and shallow? or Yeah,
0: absolutely. Okay. Um, right. Broad and shallow, uh, as it relates, is probably one of the first things. Um, so, And again, every company approaches it different. So some companies we that I would talk to might come in and say, We just want to automate that when someone is put into our our HR system or our contractor system, they're properly provisioned within all the various systems in our environment. So they're really just focused on automation. Where another customer you might talk to is that they've had a recent audit findings that they don't have the proper controls in place for the access that they've currently assigned, that there's an ongoing review process. So for them, they're not really approaching it from an automation. They're saying, look, we just need to get certification set up. We need to understand the roles that we have in our environment and then set up campaigns around certification across our various application stakes. So every customer enters into what they need to do in a slightly different angle, but the depth of where you go or the breadth of where you go is always going to be based upon uh, how the customers need to start their overarching project.
1: Okay. So good thing you're not a salesperson because you have talked me out of engaging in an IGA project. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Um, You know, you're supposed to say it's easy, simple, fast. um, And, But I understand what you're doing. You're setting realistic expectations and understanding in the scope of what has to be done. So it is actually easy, simple, and fast. Um, I always say
0: um, you got to trust your experts. So typically the reason why a, a customer would come to us or come to any vendor that they work with is because that vendor has a level of expertise. So take advantage of what your vendor can tell you because they likely know a lot more about this than you do, and more importantly, you probably have consultants who might be involved, so they constantly do identity governance rollouts, so their expertise can help out. Typically, with a customer, we actually get them up and running within 12 weeks with a lot of great capabilities. So, it is a, while the project over. Like overall, like, you're going to, it is something you'll be working on over months or potentially for some organizations' years, depending upon how much they want to adopt uh, across their organization. The reality is within 12 weeks, they can have tremendous value to the organization and start earning, like getting some, uh, a return on their investment within a, for a product.
1: Got it. So to avoid these four major pitfalls you've identified, uh, number one is talk to you to get you started. What are some other tips
0: yeah, so I, I think, um, I mean, every customer that I've ever dealt with always has like an RFP process. That, to me, it's it's as much as you them learning about what the capabilities are of a vendor, but also understanding the approach. So, like, uh, one example is... If you want to understand the effort, like you could look at Gartner or Forrester or Cuppinger or COAL, All of those guys have great, those analysts have their best practices, but every vendor has their own best practices. So, and again, this doesn't just apply to ID; it applies across any industry you're working in. Often you want to understand what are their best practices, what's their approach. And for a customer, when they're looking at it, they want to understand, is there something in vendor A's best practice that's not in vendor B, and then I can kind of inquire as to, hey, why is this important or not important to you guys? Because it seems like something that should be included. So just getting an understanding of how the vendors want to approach an overarching project for you um, will help you better understand the effort that's involved in that. As it relates to stakeholders, again, most vendors will tell you that you need to get this for IGA, need to get the stakeholders involved often it's because there's, there's two key reasons. One, you need decision makers. So if, if you know that you're going to be heavily reliant upon data that's fed from your HR systems and you want someone who's in charge of HR involved in the conversation to, one, understand how are we leveraging your data? So if you radically need to change your data, you know that you need to notify us so that we don't break all of our automation. Uh, but equally, for like a system owner, Understanding what are your new responsibilities going to be as it relates to certifying access, reviewing access, and and all the different things that we're going to be scaling on to the project uh, as we mature down the pathway. But having the right stakeholders at the table ensures that it doesn't feel like you're pushing new responsibilities upon them. Rather, you're trying to empower them and make what they do today more efficient and better. Um, If I had to think about from uh, cleaning data, again, every... Organization has data quality, and I don't think you're you're ever, you're never going to get perfect. So I don't want customers thinking that they thinking they have to start this with we're going to get perfect data quality. Where it runs afoul is, uh, is sometimes it's very simple things like job description. Like if you have um, someone who is like let's say VP, and you say, look, if, if their policy is going to be we look for people who have a title that contains VP, and they will they'll get this access to certain resources. But if sometimes it says vice presidents, sometimes it says V president, sometimes it says this, should we, one, try to deal with all the different edge cases, or should we go back to HR and say, can we just simplify this and say that if you're a vice president, rather than these five permutations we have today, can we just go with VP? And... We'll sync that through all the systems, and now we can just automate based upon, we know moving forward, every person will have VP versus vice president, vice pres, and all, all the different permutations. It's trying to, if you can get around a core principle around data quality, then it makes it easier, and you're not going back in a year looking at why do we have this rule in place? Like, why are we like not understanding why you did something a year from now or two years from now or potentially a, you know, a decade from now trying to figure out why you did something that you've subsequently over the years fixed. So it's trying to clean up and not deal with edge cases.
1: Got it. I can imagine the bigger the organization, the more of those there are, right? Because you add a new person, just make up their title, which is some variation of vice president and give them a... Different role that, you know, with different access uh, abilities. And then now you're all over the place. Yeah. And for most companies,
0: the reason why they want to automate this is they, I don't want to say they want cookie cutter, but in part, you, you want cookie cutter. You want to know that, hey, if someone is joining us within our CTO organization, just by being part of this organization, you at least get this, and then based upon your core discipline within this area, there might be some additional things that you get. And we want to we want to make sure that those are some cookie cutters so that there we can do automation. And then for all the things that we're not sure if you're going to need access to, some people do, some people don't. Those are things you have to request. So we know that there's going to be a uh, uh, at least a bucket that you get by default by being within one part of the organization, a bucket you get within your specialization, and then. A, a sea of things that you can, if you need access to, you can go request and then the the application, your manager or whomever can authorize you to get some additional access you need for parts of your job.
1: Is there logic cases where you build build workflows based on, you know, if it's a VP and if they're in this department and they have seniority of three years, then they can do X, Y, Z? Said something. That yeah, that's do? A, yeah, yeah. You're
0: you're describing it very well. I, I'd probably. I mean, you're. It's funny because you're talking like a programmer. If this, then that. Yeah. But yeah. that. Yeah. Typically, what we're dealing with customers is that they have this kind of cascading, if you will, role model of we started at a very high level. You've joined our organization. You're part of the company. You get an email address. Like so, there's some some basic birthrights you get when you join the just the company alone, right. and then your department and it got it kind of stacks as you sort of move through but there's a there's a need to agree upon things because you might walk into one organization and say we agree that every employee has an email address and then someone says well what about contractors do we give them email address oh yeah all of our contractors need to have uh, an email address as well okay well then great we've established that. When we add someone on as a contractor, they also get email address. So there's birthrights to our organization that apply to employees and contractors. So there's a bit broader sweeping. But then there's probably some specialization stuff that only apply to employees like access to HR benefits and th- and things like that. And then you just continue to scale out your role model. And this isn't for most companies. This is not new stuff. It's stuff that they currently do today. But often it's it's manual or tribal knowledge or smoke signals <laughs> as to how they understand how these things work.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to contemplate what the universities do now. And well, after I graduated, I've noticed that universities allow graduates to keep their uh, university email address for life. Yeah, for life. It's, yeah. And how do you govern that?
0: So, a funny aside story. I I have my first. Uh, son going off to university this fall.
1: Oh, congratulations. And
0: uh, I was like, what books do you need to buy? He pulls up an app and shows me an app of the books he needs to purchase. And I'm like, uh-huh. wait a second. When I went to university, I had to <laughs> scour through the bookstore and look for books. And yeah. for you, it's just an app. And it says, for this class, here's your books. You can click buy right here. It's like, it's amazing the evolution, but within the higher education market, uh, it, 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 is a, it really is a very different and specialized space. The, and you get into that within higher education, financial services, Healthcare. Each core tenant has different requirements or specializations as to how they operate their business. And I think you highlighted one, which is having your email address for life, as well as how to deal with uh, that multi-affiliation where... A person might be a student, they might be a professor, they might be you know, uh, an administrative assistant for some other professor or like a student teacher for something else. It's within inside of e- even that vertical, they have to deal with someone who might have a variety of different roles. So you wanna make sure that even though you're a professor, you can't access you know, the grades for a class that you attend, for example.
1: So give us a feel in our last minutes about Uh, Omada's approach and solution because we don't want to just leave people with, oh my gosh, this is a big problem and there are a lot of things to watch out for because the question is, what do we do about it? Yeah. Omada's approach, again, uh,
0: I think the first thing is, like, how do you deliver your solution? And um, we are a SaaS-delivered solution. So when customers come to us, the first thing that we really are talking about is we deliver our solution as a service for you in the cloud. And we can reach to your on-premise resources. We can reach to your cloud resources. So that's the first thing. Then we do have a, a process. We call it Identity Process Plus, which is our best practice framework for how to help you get yourself up and going and get implemented. I always say it's, it's great educational material for as you're going to embark upon this. Whether you choose Omada or not, Identity Process Plus is a fantastic piece of material for customers to kind of get their their head around uh, what the overarching project is going to be. Um, as it relates to um, kind of the next stage that a customer would get into is to how do we how do we just generally approach it? We want to get you up, get you value in twelve weeks. We want to help you with, um, I guess, the keys of what is important to the organization. So um, we are all about configuration. So if you walk, if you talk to Amada and you say we want to write tons of customer code and stuff like that, we really try to heavily steer customers away from high level of customization, which is more that they're going to have to manage in the out years and more about how can we configure the product without writing a single line of code to get it to do what you need to do to map to your business so that they get a higher ROI over not just the short years, but the out years that they're not trying to manage uh, a solution that's just, again, has sometimes, uh, based upon how early implementations back in the early 2000s, Um, became unmanageable for customers. And which is why many customers switch from one vendor to another is just to get away from their challenges.
1: Makes a lot of sense. Now you mentioned stakeholders before, and I always think especially during onboarding and provisioning, I think of HR and of course they've got their own systems already for keeping employee records and all the mysterious things they do. They're going to be, they should be engaged in this conversation obviously but is there a way to tie in or is it just a one time we're going to grab from your existing data store and integrate? No, it's 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 actually an ongoing
0: process. So when you're involving a stakeholder, um, while they may not be involved in every single phase of the project, um, it, it is an, an ongoing effort that you have. So... Um, where many projects, again, they fail, is that they bring in HR and they say, hey, we're gonna use your data, and they say, okay, we can drop a file for you here, how frequently do you want it, great, and then they move on with life, and they don't understand how the data's being used, so that's part of the stakeholder involvement is so that, Someone from HR is sitting at the table and saying, "Okay, great. We have a clear understanding of the data you want, how you're using it, and if we're going to make any changes, we know that we need to kind of give you guys a preview of the changes we want to make so that we don't break anything that you guys are working on." And and there's a kind of a thumbs up, and then kind of the stakeholders you have across the business. So someone who owns, like, you might have IT that currently was taking ownership for a business, an application. But now IT is going to relinquish that to saying, well, while we own the technical back end of the application, the applications now back to sign to the business so maybe someone in you know HR or someone in you know finance is going to be the app- governed who should actually have access to what parts of the application so IT is no longer responsible for that we'll make sure the applications up and running for you but for the secure parts of the security of the application are best for the people who actually know how the application works who should be using it and what it actually does for the organization and then IT would probably get involved and in the business would get involved is what are the risks for this application? What are the things that if if you have permission A, you shouldn't get permission B? So how do we separate, like there's that separation duties concept that if you shouldn't have these two things, that, and then if we do have to have any conditions for that, how do we compensate for that? So there's all of those things that will involve different people who have specialization within, across your entire uh, security infrastructure and application infrastructure.
1: This has been so great, Rod. Thank you for all your great insights on the topic of identity, governance, and administration. And thank you to everyone who listened to our conversation. If you would like more information on what we've discussed today, make sure you head on over to omadaidentity.com. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. Until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360 Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head on over to em360tech.com.